Well, now, now we will uh, get started. Uh, Tripp had asked me because he's going to be, or he's out of town this weekend, if I would fill in for him as we go through Luke together. And so uh, just neat opportunity to be able to look at, at this passage as we study through uh, just kind of the revelation that we saw when the, the Gospel of Luke started out, and he introduced it, the, the focus of it, and Luke writing to Theophilus to give him an accurate accounting of, uh, of what took place in the Gospel of, of Jesus. And so as he set the framework for that in writing this for the purpose of Theophilus understanding the, the gospel, he then introduced the, the birth or the conception uh, that was miraculous in its own right uh, of what would be John the Baptist and uh, with Zechariah and what we looked at last week as, uh, as Zechariah was told that, that uh, his wife was going to get pregnant in her later years. And we know that that he was probably somewhere at least 70, possibly 80 at the time. And, and I would imagine anybody that, that somebody came to at, that was about 80 years old and said, okay, now's your time to have a child. You've been barren all this time, uh, but it's your time to have a child. Uh, it would kind of freak you out a little bit because that's not something that we expect. Uh, if, if you have been barren that long, I imagine that there's a kind of given up that, uh, that you've decided your past years and Zechariah and his disbelief um, was, was stricken dumb, unable to, uh, to speak at that point until uh, John the Baptist was born, which has not yet happened. And so we encounter today, as we look into the gospel, another more miraculous conception as we look at um, the appearance to Mary and the introduction of Jesus uh, being conceived by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read for you as we go through, and, and I've got to, uh, today's my 48th birthday. Yes, that, that makes me old. And uh, one of the things that, that I, was, I was joking with earlier is uh, you realize the older that you get that you need glasses to be able to read. So y'all pardon me while I attempt to use my, my cheap little reading glasses to be able to go through this. Uh, but we're going to be starting in verse 6. And, and reading Gabriel's interaction with Mary. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father Jacob. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, I thank you for your word and the truth of it. 
And I just pray that as we spend a little bit of time digging into it tonight, that you would just make it clear that you would speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would draw us close to yourself, that you would uh, reveal yourself in and through us, and uh, just help us to uh, learn more about just the, the miracle of our salvation, just your incredible intention to call us to yourself, to redeem us and have us as yours. And I just pray that you would help us to, as a, in, as a result of that, in light of that, to respond in much the same way Mary did and just confess that we are your servants and that we would walk in such a way we recognize your will and follow in it. I thank you for your goodness to us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, a couple of y'all give me a little bit of feedback. How did you meet? If you're a couple and you're married, whether your spouse is here or not, how did the two of you meet? How did you come about? We're some goody two-shoes at church. You were some goody two-shoes? We met at church. Okay. You goody, met? Goody, goody two-shoes. Uh, she's saying she doesn't even know that she wants to admit to that. <laughs> met at church. All right. So, like in the same youth group, did you go to an uh, college event? College and career age group, yes. College and career. All right. So, met in church. Anybody else? How'd you meet? We met in the admissions office. And an admissions office? So, I was giving the tours and helping with the new recruits for the grad school. Yeah. And I met uh, my mother in law to be and my wife there. Uh huh. But that wasn't the first time we met at church after. Okay, all right. Any details you want to add to that, Stephanie? There are only two Christians in all of Vegas, and so the pickings, you know, She just said you're, you were like one of two choices. You, that must make you feel proud. I think she was saying that she was the other Christian. Oh, y'all had no other choice. Okay, all right. Well, either way, that sounds really romantic. Not. All right, anybody else? How'd you meet? Anybody? Met at work. Met at work, that's right. Holly was a postal carrier as well at that point in time. That's cool. Well, Jennifer and I met at church as well, and uh, her dad was my Sunday school teacher, and he had swore that she wasn't going to start dating until she was 16. He made an exception for me because he said he knew where to find me, uh, which is probably what every dad uh, is at least thinking. Boy, I know, I, I'll, I'll know where to find you. Wait, how old uh, were you then? Uh, I was 16, so uh, I am a year and a day older than my bride, even though I look about 20 years older than my bride. Her birthday is tomorrow, and so so she is a, a year and a day behind me, and uh, so tomorrow she celebrates her birthday, though, like you know with ladies, hers is some anniversary of her 29th birthday, um, so, um, but anyway, that's one of those things that... Uh, when, when you meet somebody, it, it really stands out in your mind uh, because in our culture today, uh, we meet and choose our spouse voluntarily, don't we? we? We get to make decisions unless you're living in Vegas and there's nobody else to pick from and, uh, and you, you just wind up stuck together. Uh, but in the time in which we, we read this passage of scripture, that was not at all the case. 
Um, it, it was not the case in Nazareth where, uh, you know, one day uh, Joseph and Mary were at Sunday school and they cast a longing glance across a, a classroom and all of a sudden, you know, he said, she's for me and she said, he's for me. Uh, life did not happen that way back then. Uh, there was a system of betrothal whereby at some point Mary's parents promised her to Joseph's parents and there was some exchange of a dowry uh, that, that would have arranged uh, that marriage and probably uh, there, was, there had to be some type of a, a gift given uh, to, to arrange the marriage and so it may have been the swap of a camel or, or uh, you know who knows a, a nice end table uh, something like that to say, okay, we're going to seal the deal and our kids are going to get married uh, on XYZ date. And, and when that was set up, it was usually set up with kids that were very, very young, uh, generally in much the same way that, that Jennifer is a little bit younger than me. Mary most likely was a little bit younger than Joseph. But in reality, we are, a lot of times in our American mindset, we're thinking about a couple that's probably 19, 20 years old. You know, they, they've gotten out of high school. They, they've got some things. You know, Joseph probably had his own chariot, and uh, he was cruising around and, and spotted Mary. But in this case, more than likely, Mary had just passed puberty. She's probably around 13 years old, maybe 14 years old. At the time of their betrothal, and Joseph is probably the ripe old age of around 14 or 15. And they've been committed to each other for a period that was usually around a year uh, to, to live in betrothal. Now, that doesn't mean that they were married. They, they were not able to be together physically. Uh, they were not able to consummate the marriage, but they were promised to each other, in which time Joseph was responsible for but not living with Mary. She would stay at her parents' home uh, under their care, but he was responsible to begin setting up a home, making preparations to be able to care for them. And so there was a, a course of actions that was set in motion even though they were apart. So one of the main things that we have to understand about this passage is one of context, and, and that's that this is a, a couple that's really not yet a couple. And in fact, to us, would be little kids. Uh, they, they'd be younger than, than the teenagers we see in high school today, and, and by our own standards, we'd be kind of shocked that a couple at that age was even committed to each other, much, much less being ready to be married, but this was a normal thing within the culture. And so within this culture, you have to think about as you read this passage of Scripture that Mary is not a young lady in the sense that she's 19 or 20 years old, what we would think of as marrying age, and an angel appears to her. This is essentially to us a little kid that has that barely begun her adolescence. And all of a sudden an angel appears to her. Gabriel appears to her and says, you're going to have a baby. Uh, that, that would be shocking to any young lady, wouldn't it? Uh, that would be hard to absorb for a child this age to, to think about. Not only did an angel appear to her, but she's about to become pregnant at the ripe old age of 13 or 14 years old. And not only that, but that it's not just going to be a child, but it's going to be a child that, that is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So this is a shocking moment, and I want you to catch that out of this passage because too many times when, when we read it and we've heard the story and we've sung songs 
about it and we think about it at Christmas, many times as we look at manger scenes or things that, that we may have in and around our homes, and, and even now, even though it's September, as Christmas decorations start to appear in Walmart, uh, right alongside of Halloween decorations, uh, all of those manger scenes show Mary as probably a 25 or 30-year-old lady, and, and she's really less than half that. So this is a shocking encounter, to say the least, before it even really gets started. And, and as it happens, this child, who is told that she's going to be with child, has to have a lot of things going on in her mind. If you know much about this culture, um, during the time of betrothal, which was a legally binding arrangement, I mean, she was legally fixed to Joseph, in that time frame, if it was found that either of them were having a relationship with someone else outside of that betrothal, uh, it was a violation of that legal uh, agreement between the two of them. And anybody want to guess in Jewish system of government what the punishment was for a young lady to become pregnant by someone else during a betrothal period? Anybody want to take a guess? Death. She would. She could be stoned by by that account. Um, if if Joseph had of, and and we're going to read in just a moment the Matthew account, just to kind of give the other side of the story. If if this had come out, if Joseph had been like, I don't want any part of this. We think about this passage from Mary's perspective, but from Joseph's side of things, if he had have said. I don't want any part of this, and exposed her, he could have had her stoned legally within their society. And if you take a minute just to flip back over to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 1, we're going to read this just for perspective, verses 18 through 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, and that's talking about sexually, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we have this, this tremendous tremendously difficult situation within the culture of not only does Mary have an angel appear to her and say, young lady, you are about to give birth to a child. And can, can you imagine the fear that, that went through Mary's heart of what's going to happen? Uh, will, will the insecurities of a 13-year-old girl, will I get stoned? What will people say about me? What, what will be done when I'm shown to be pregnant during my betrothal? So there was all of this, this social outcast status 
looming over this. And many times, like a lot of stuff about the Bible, we, we build our own culture in and we think, man, this is fascinating. It's amazing that, that God himself sent an angel to, to say the Holy Spirit's going to be upon you. You're going to have a child. And we romance this idea when the first thing that had to strike her was fear. Not, not just fear of being pregnant at 13, but fear of trying to explain to everyone, no, no, we haven't been together. We haven't had sexual relations. We haven't violated Jewish law. No, you shouldn't take me out and stone me. Um, in fact, God appeared and told me that this child is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now, every last one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, would think what? How would you respond if, if someone came to you with that story? If Jennifer, you're a high school teacher. If a, if a young girl appeared in your ninth grade English class, I'd refer her to a counselor. You'd send her out to a counselor because you'd think she was doing what? Well, lying or creating a She's lying or creating a story. Serious it's serious psych problem. There's something going on. I mean, you have to look at scripture honestly. You can't just look at it from our church viewpoint. Honestly, we would all say this is crazy. And, and we would respond just like Mary did. If you look in Luke chapter uh, 2, and, and we kind of try to make this sound better than it is, um, in Luke chapter 2 it says, But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Now that doesn't mean that she was a little bit confused. It means that like any 13-year-old girl ha having an angel appear to her physically. Now, the angel came to Joseph in a dream, right? So, I mean, you can imagine kind of waking up from a dream. That kind of makes sense. Uh, but, but just having a physical appearance of the angel Gabriel in front of you would be kind of shocking. And, and when it says she was troubled at the saying, you have to unpack the emotion that's built into that. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be left by the man who's betrothed me. People are going to think I'm crazy. I'm going to be an outcast. And all of that was built in to her reaction. And I would encourage you as you read this passage and as you think through that, uh, don't sanitize it because this was a real challenging, difficult place for her. It wasn't like, you know, a lot of the songs about, you know, uh, you know, Mary, did you know, and things that we hear, they make it so sweet. But she was scared out of her mind. And, and the passage indicates that by saying she's troubled, but, but there's a lot of depth to that, that, that she was torn up in her spirit, did not know what to do about it, kind of troubled like any other 13-year-old girl who realized all of a sudden I have to tell my parents this cockamamie story, what are they going to say to me? And ladies, you know if you went to your parents with a story like this, uh, you'd be lucky if they didn't kick you out of the house. So it's, it's a difficult situation in which she finds herself. And, and so God set this up in such a way that it shook the very fabric of culture because it, it intended to shake the very fabric of faith. And so this was intended to be a very difficult situation. Now, when we contrast this to the story of last week uh, with the angel uh, speaking to, to Zechariah and saying, you're going to have a child, his response was disbelief. And because of that, he was stricken mute. But you think about it, that's really, it's, it's uncommon, it's miraculous. We don't think about 
80-year-old women that are having children, it would certainly make one of the top search stories on Facebook if it happened in our culture today because it would get streamed out there and everybody would freak out a little bit. They'd probably have her in a magazine or something like that. But still, we know how procreation works. It's still going to be the two of them getting together and having a child. And it is miraculous in the sense that it's beyond normal years. But this is a more far-fetched story. And so this little girl who shouldn't be dealing with any of these things is all of a sudden taken back by that. So I would encourage you to think about this from the the standpoint of her situation is going to be one of shock and difficulty and challenge. And, And if you can imagine, probably very difficult for her to respond in any fashion other than panic, right? But in this, she responds to this with such... Um, I'll say humility in the sense that she doesn't say, God, you can't do this to me. Uh, She doesn't uh, respond in such a way of, I'm going to lose face. Uh, I'm going to lose my standing. I'm going to be an outcast. I'm going to be these things. Her response was not self-centered, but it was selfless. And and because of that, it's a very encouraging or well-supported story here. But as, as, the, as the scripture makes clear, the angel says to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And her response to this is such that uh, a lot of times the church today uh, tries to romanticize who Mary is as a result of this. Um, we, we think a lot about uh, individuals sometimes within the Catholic church that have, have taken this as a reason to worship Mary um, because the passage says that you have found favor with God. And, and so there have been a string of traditions that have come out of this, including some groups within the Catholic Church that believe that because of this and the Holy Spirit being on her, even Mary's future children were still by immaculate conception, that every other child was by the Holy Spirit, that, that it, it, it was impossible for Mary to then have the, uh, the, the normal form of conception because God was on her. And, and so we over-romanticize her position rather than keeping our fix on, on God, the, the Father, on Jesus the Son, and on the Holy Spirit. And this is really such a portrait, not of something that should cause us to revere Mary, but that should cause us to be reminded of the triune nature of God at work to bring about our redemption. That that God the Father was sending Jesus the Son through the the method of of conception by the Holy Spirit to bring about our redemption. And and so there was a, a miraculous work that was going on here. But the one thing I don't want you to miss is that this is such an evidence of the fulfillment of prophecy. And you, you heard a touch of that in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1 when the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. What did the angel tell, tell him there at the end? I do not know. You do not know. That's, that's, a, that's a reasonable, legitimate answer. Does anybody know? What, what was the last thing? What was the motive he said for which this was being done? 
prophecy about the virgin? To fulfill the prophecy about the virgin. Does anybody, can anybody take your Bible and flip to the book of Isaiah? Or, or your electronic Bible and, uh, key, and, and punch in Isaiah. Go to chapter 7 and read for me verse 14. Go right ahead. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay. So this is a unique passage, and, and it, it is referred to there at the beginning of, uh, of Matthew and referred back to there 700 years prior to Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit. We have this prophecy in the book of Isaiah that the angel makes clear to Matthew that this is why this happened. Now, a lot of later scholars will say, well, that was invented after the fact. Um, that, that was kind of woven together after the fact. But all of these passages come from a, a, a uh, translation of the word where the Hebrew was translated into Koine Greek in the Septuagint, which was completed at the latest evidence. We have 132 years before Christ was born. The translation was completed that gives us this verbiage and this translation of Isaiah chapter 7. So we know that it's not that somebody could go back and, and rewrite the Septuagint 132 years after it was completed to make those things match. And we have clear evidence that that, that took place and they're very definitive dates when those translations were completed. So what happens in Isaiah chapter 7 is King Ahaz is about to go into battle and, and God says to King Ahaz, he says, ask me for a sign. Ask me for a sign that I'm able to deliver you, that I'm able to help you win the battle. And, and, and the funny thing is, or to me, and, and sometimes I, I try to put myself in, in the position when I'm reading scripture of, of what would I do or what would I think, how would this respond to me, or how would I respond to this. But, but King Ahaz is asked by God, okay, give me a sign, test me. Before you go into battle and risk everybody, before you risk being killed, uh, you know, give, ask me for a sign. I'll prove it to you before you even go in. And he says, you can make it as deep as hell, as deep as shale, or as high as the heavens. Ask whatever you want, and, and I'll answer it. And, and Ahaz, trying to be all holy and, and great and trusting God, he says, no, no, God, I, I don't want to ask you for a sign. Uh, and he says, fine, I'll give you a sign. And, and the crazy thing is, and it makes no sense to me whatsoever that this sign happens in this place other than God showing off, but he says, okay, I'll give you a sign. 700 years from now, a virgin will be with child, and, and he shall be called Emmanuel because he will save his people from his sins. Can you imagine? I mean, Ahaz had to be in a situation where he's like, what in the world? Well, how is that a sign? I'm going into battle like not not even in seven days, and you're giving me a sign that I don't know when it's going to happen. And it didn't come about until 700 years later. But God, because he's outside of time and he's intentional about revealing his word and his plans, this wonderful prophecy comes about in the most, pardon me for saying so, but ridiculous of circumstances. 
I cannot imagine that that Ahaz all of a sudden went, "Yeah, I'm ready to fight now. I'm I, I'm encouraged. I'm ready. There, there's going to be a virgin that has a baby. I have no idea when." And and so it was completely God just revealing part of His character because Ahaz wouldn't invite him to to give him a sign. So now here we have in the book of Matthew and and again in the book of Luke just this couplet saying, you remember that way back then? You remember reading that in, in the Old Testament? You remember my encounter with Ahaz when I made this promise? This is the completion of the promise. Long after anybody who was tied to the line of Ahaz was, was even around to care about it, but it still fulfilled that the nature of God has been to lay out the redemption of man from all of eternity past. And it's, it's just amazing to me how God works in that way. So he reveals a little bit of himself by completing and fulfilling this prophecy of a virgin being with child. Now, there's been a lot said as well in our day and culture that, well, the, the word for virgin may have just meant that she was a young lady. And so since she was 13 it was, and she wasn't married, that, that, that her response here, as, as she says, um, in, in verse 34, she said, the Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And, and people will try to explain it away and say, well, that, that word that's, that's translated uh, out of Isaiah and repeated here uh, was the word Alma, and, and that could have meant young lady. And, but when, again, when we go back to the Septuagint, as it was translated into Greek then, into Koine Greek, out of the Hebrew word for Alma, they used the word Parthenos, which is specifically dealing with a virgin, someone who has not had a, a sexual relationship with a man, and therefore she could not be pregnant. And even then, if you, if you try to go into the etymology and you get in arguments about the etymology and the background of the words and, and uh, who said what, when, and, and whether or not that's the case, you, you have to also go back and look at the passages. Um, and again, referring back to, to Matthew, as he said there, and we're going to look back at, at Matthew chapter 1, it, uh, it says... Uh, He said, she was found to be with a child from Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, put her, to, uh, uh, put her away in divorce quietly. It says, do not fear, uh, for that which is conceived of her is the Holy Spirit. And, and then it goes down into verse 24, and, and it says, he took her as, excuse me, 25, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. So whether you believe the etymology of the word or not, the, the fact of the matter is, is that it made it also clear that she was not even with Joseph or had no sexual relations with anyone until after the child was born. So there's not only the etymology of the word, but there's the, the couplet of scripture that says she was a virgin. She says, how will this be since I have not been with a man? The angel appears to, to Joseph and says, she has not been with a man. And not only that, but you're not to be with her until after the baby is born. So there's this, this grouping of phrases and, and words that when you unpack it all, you cannot help but recognize that this child that is within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
And Scripture makes it clear that the way in which this child was to come about is as a result of, of God's triune nature at work. You know, we talk about that, uh, and, and Tripp has mentioned, that the Trinity as a word is not used within the Bible. But we over and over and over again see God the Father at work, God the Spirit at work, and God the Son at work within people's lives. And it is always in such a way that Jesus is magnifying the Father, the Spirit is bringing forth the Son, and magnifying the Son. And, and in every case, even in this physical sense, we see a very real clear picture where Jesus is coming to fulfill the will of the Father, and the Spirit is the one magnifying Him, bringing Him into our existence, into our realm of existence, and in the same way that the Spirit made it possible through conception for Jesus to come in physical form, it is the Spirit that makes it possible for Jesus to live and dwell in our hearts by the power of the Spirit, uh, even after the death of Christ. So we over and over again see the clarity of, of, of Scripture of God the Father being glorified by the work of the Son made possible or brought into frame by the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is the case here in this passage as well. So one of the things that we see in here also is, uh, is Mary's submission. Uh, and that's going to be the idea that, that we finish on today. Is that um, after Mary goes through this process and recognizes that, that it's God at work, that the conception is by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, then we see the, it says the angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and this is in verse 35. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, shadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age is also conceived. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary's response, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, there's a lot of things that we face in life that, um, in the grand scheme of things, have pretty minor um, consequences, if you will. Things that have very temporal consequences. Um, we, we have situations where people wrong us and, and we have to go a little bit out of our way to, to work things out with them. Uh, we have situations that make it difficult to, uh, to get through our day at work. Uh, situations where it's difficult to trust the Lord to provide for us physically, to give us wisdom to raise kids, uh, to, uh, as, as we saw last week, to believe that if God says, you're going to have a kid when you're 80, that we go, okay, God, anything's possible with you. But in this passage, there's such a strong contrast between the disbelief of Zechariah and his disbelief, don't, don't, don't miss the fact that his disbelief did not thwart God's will. Whether or not you believe God or not is not going to change God's purpose or plan. Uh, it, it, it may change your interaction with it or the joy that you draw out of it or, or where you are in the process of it, but it won't change his will. Zechariah going, no, dude, that, that, that can't happen, did not cause the angel to say, okay, then we'll pick somebody else. Or, okay, then we'll just kind of shelve this whole idea of John the Baptist come along, coming along. Uh, it didn't change God's will at all. 
It just meant that, that for about nine months, Zechariah did not get to say anything. He, he didn't get to whisper any words to uh, his wife's womb as that child was growing. He didn't get to rejoice in it. He didn't get to run around and say, hey, man, my wife is pregnant. She's 80. I've still got it. He, he didn't get to rejoice in any of that. All the guys shake their heads and all the ladies uh, roll their eyes uh, when I say that. But, I mean, any 80-year-old guy who all of a sudden his wife's pregnant is going to be a little proud. And, and so uh, he didn't get to say any of that. So he lost out on, on what he should have been able to take great joy in uh, because he didn't believe. And here, on the other hand, where we have an 80-year-old priest who doesn't believe God's word, we have a 13-year-old girl that does. And a lot of times we allow life to convince us that there are complications that happen that, that just make it so that, well, God, you really don't understand my circumstance. Have you ever felt that way? God calls you to do something and you're like, God, there's just too many variables right now. And, and God says, you know, I want you to give $100 to this cause. I want you to help out with this need. And you're like, we just can't really do that right now. We, we just don't have, you don't understand our budget. Uh, you don't understand where we are. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that, that God is calling us to be obedient regardless of the circumstance or consequence. And in this passage, as Mary said, uh, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, now, see, the cool thing about God's Word is, is that nothing we do, good or bad, will change His purpose or plan. Uh, God loves us. God calls us to Himself. God redeems us. Uh, Romans chapter 5 that you've all read make it really clear that just as, as God laid out for, as sin would enter the world through one man, that righteous would, righteousness would also come through the man Jesus Christ. That, that through Him, we would gain the opportunity to have forgiveness cleansing and hope, that, that we would have a redeemer, uh, that, that scripture unpacks over and over again through, through Romans, through Hebrews, so many illustrations of how Jesus was to be the completion of everything that took place in the Old Testament. He was to be our high priest. He was to be our sacrifice. He was to be our redeemer and our friend, that he was to uh, give us an opportunity to have a relationship with a holy God. And the cool thing about this passage is not just the fascination with, with God coming to Mary, uh, not just the miracle of a virgin being with child, but just the wondrous opportunity that, that Mary had to rejoice in obedience, just the wonderful opportunity that she had to trust in the Lord in spite of her circumstance. Because really, when you look at it, she had every reason not to, didn't she? I mean, she, could have, she had every excuse to say, God, I'm 13. You can't make me pregnant. My parents won't understand. God, I've, I've never been with a man, so you really can't make me pregnant. Uh, it, it's not physically possible, and if it's spiritually possible, nobody's going to believe me, so don't do that to me. Now, it wouldn't have thwarted God's plan, God had laid this out from the beginning of the time. Of time. That, that's why she is of the lineage of David. And the beginning of this passage makes it clear and draws her heritage back to David. The same way in Matthew, it draws uh, Joseph's heritage back to David. And prophecy demands that the Messiah who would come is of the house and lineage of David. 
and so not to unpack his uh, patriarchal lineage back to David and her matriarchal lineage back to David, but this was planned. And, and God wasn't going to say, okay, Mary, this is going to be an inconvenience for you, so I'll choose another route. But it is so wonderful to hear her response. Just a 13-year-old girl who didn't say, God, you can't do it this way. God, don't do it this way. But God, may it be as you will and do this through me. You know, as we face things on a daily basis, as we rejoice, hopefully, in the redeeming love of Christ, uh, the challenge for us that we take away is do we do it with obedience and joy? So as you go through this passage, as you look at Luke chapter 2, uh, I don't want to get all Christmassy themed on you and really focus on the coming of the Messiah uh, because, you know, that's for Christmas time. But there is a thread of obedience and joy in this passage as someone who had absolutely no reason to trust in Jesus did as somebody who had every objection to why they wouldn't want God to do this to them, trusted that it was going to be okay. And, you know, really, without sermonizing or taking this out of context, the, the close of the passage is really that. That last verse is, is the one that, yes, the bulk of the passage, you rejoice in your salvation. You rejoice in the virgin birth. You rejoice in the Holy Spirit placing within Mary the child Jesus that would save you from your sins and give you hope. But it's not without mistake that the close of the passage, the close of this interaction, is that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke as he gave this, this writing to Theophilus as he said, I want you to have an accurate account of what took place, that the passage here closes in this way. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So unlike Zechariah, she wasn't struck dumb as a result of this, but, but she was used mightily. And, and, and all of us are blessed because of that. And so I, do, I would encourage you as you read Mary's story, Rejoice in salvation. I mean, we are redeemed because of these events. But, but also rejoice that no matter what God calls you to do, when God's at work in your life, he's sufficient to order the circumstances and control the results so that it comes about in a way that he receives glory out of that too. And it's such a call for us to rejoice in the God who saves us as he calls us to live and walk and work and trust him on a daily basis. So I hope as you read this passage, you don't always just think about Christmas, but you think about a young girl who had no reason to trust that it was going to turn out okay, but she did, and it did, because the same God who planned this from eternity past was able to bring it to pass in a way that he'd be glorified and she would be drawn closer to it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. And in this passage... You, you just make so clear to us that it is your desire from eternity past to redeem us. The work of you, God, our Father, who, who just desires to draw us to yourself, just as the Father waiting to draw the prodigal back to himself. But in sending your Son and, and, and in conceiving him by the Holy Spirit for our redemption, for your glory, for, for the fulfillment of prophecy, I pray that you'd strengthen us to trust you as a result of reading this passage and knowing that, that this difficult set of circumstances that you brought about for your glory was also just an evidence 
of your desire to bless us and use us and glorify yourself through us as you call us closer and closer to yourself each day. I thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your salvation and just the opportunity that we have to rejoice as you move and work in our lives. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.